1: Good evening, everybody. Welcome to this edition of Attention Talk Radio. I'm your host, ADHD and Attention Coach, Jeff Copper. Our topic tonight, ADHD, Communication Challenges of Teens and Adolescents. Uh, We're going to get to the content in a moment. Before we do, we'd like to thank children and adults with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder for bringing this program to you. In celebration of that event, we're anxious to give away free digital copies of Attention Magazine. To get yours, just listen to our show. We'll be sharing a secret word a couple times. Write it down. Listen to another show um, and write down the secret word of that show and then just email me the the two words. That's all you need to do. Email address is attention at attentiontalkradio.com. When we get it, we'll forward it to Chad. We'll get you a PDF copy of the current edition of Attention Magazine, and they'll send you a PDF copy of the next edition when it's in print. We have a little tip that we're going to share with you that Chad made, and we'll get into the show.
3: Women diagnosed with ADHD in adulthood are more likely to have depression, be stressed, and have low self-esteem. It's recommended they talk to a professional to develop better life and stress management strategies. But here are some tips. Identify the sources of stress and make changes. Develop healthy self-care habits, such as getting adequate sleep, exercise, and good nutrition. To learn more about ADHD in women, visit chad.org.
1: Uh, on Capitol Hill for the ADHD community and working with different regulatory agencies on wording to make sure that uh, those with ADHD get the accommodations that they need in order to thrive. Again, for more information, to donate or to uh, become a member, go to chadd.org. I'm going to do a little bit of a shout-out here to Time Timer, one of our long-term advertisers. They have this visual clock. It's kind of cool because it helps you with what I call clock math. Being able to look at a clock and tell time, uh, subtract, add, all that type of stuff to really visualize time. So I encourage you to check it out at timetimer.com. Okay, this topic is certainly of interest to a lot of people. How do you actually communicate to teenagers and adolescents? Uh, Tonight, we're repurposing a show with two thought leaders, one Dr. Ari Tuckman and Elaine taylor Claus, which are some of our favorite guests. We're going to roll the tape, sit back, hope you enjoy the show. We're here with Dr. Ari Tuckman, who's a clinical psychologist. Uh, you can learn about, more about Ari by going to adultadhdbook.com. Also, we have Elaine taylor Claus. She's a veteran health care advocate for families living with complex kids. Um, she's done a lot of great work on that. And you can learn more about her and everything that she does at impactadhd.com. And uh, Elaine and Dr. Tuchman, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Everybody, this is uh, this is I, I'm very excited about tonight. These are two of my favorite guests, and part of my favorite part about them is we come on sometimes and just riff it. There's been both of them. I've had an idea, they've had an idea, we've got on, and, and I've, I've kind of learned that if we talk about it too much in advance, uh, it kind of waters it all down. And uh, so I'm having two people on that uh, t- tonight to, d- to do this, and I think it's a- going to be a lot of fun. Um, the topic tonight really is I have learned I don't work a lot with kids. I work sometimes with 16 and 17 year olds, mostly men, males, mostly athletes in that realm, but I work a lot with college students. And it's been interesting to me over the years working with them that struggle to communicate because that's an integral part of kind of what's going on they've got to be able to express themselves uh, organize their thoughts and put that together and i know in coaching sometimes it's a little bit of a challenge because a lot of it is just helping them get out what they're talking about in order to figure out kind of what's going on so elaine have you what what are your thoughts in this area have you had any experiences with this with with teens and adhd and you yeah, get a little yeah. bit
3: <laughs> well and, so i have and, and, Go ahead. <laughs> well, what I was going to say is is that I have, you know, as a as a mom, I have three kids. Two, I, I actually am down to one teenager because two have have graduated out, um, but I think that they remain sort of teenagers probably into their early twenties. And um, Mm -hmm. and then, of course, you know, I work with tons and tons of parents of kids with teenagers. And I I think the thing that jumps out at me the most just in sort of listening to your introduction is that the relationship between parents and teens is all about a transfer of control. Um, And the problem is we get stuck in this battle of control, and we parents forget that our job is to transfer the control. Does that resonate for you?
1: That's interesting to me. No, I I don't know if you and I have talked about it before in the interview, but my mother, was um, oh, a second-grade teacher, she says, you know, when you're lecturing a kid and you're kind of going on, the kid is actually in control of the conversation, particularly if you're going on because it shows your willingness to negotiate, et cetera. And as you described that, it's just like, wow, I I, I never really thought. I, the, my mother's comments I understand, but the way you partnered is a little bit new to me. Can you just to kind of expand upon that a little bit?
3: Well, so I, I mean I think I think parenting is an ongoing process of letting go. Like our job as parents is to step by step, piece by piece, let go of of the direction and ownership of our kids' lives and to to sort of prepare them to take the mantle of living their own lives. That's what we're we're here for as parents. We we shouldn't be making decisions for them into their 20s. Ideally, we're preparing them to be able to make good decisions for themselves. Um, and so that's a transfer of ownership or control or whatever you want to call it. Um, but as par- a lot of parents get stuck in this place of directing and don't really know how to shift how to, through the roles of transferring ownership. And I think that's, that's where that so be? many of the teen dynamics come into place because the teenagers know they're ready to begin to take some control and they're either fighting for it or they don't even know how to do it because they haven't been taught.
1: That's great. Tuckman, you want to comment on this yourself from your
2: perspective? Yeah, actually, I was going to jump in on this. So I think that – I think you're absolutely right. I think that, you know, part of the challenge is that every kid and every teenager, their kind of self-assessment of their ability to manage control or, you know, independence freedom whatever you might call it Mm -hmm. um their self-assessment always exceeds their actual ability um you know this is why my nine-year-old wants to use the saw by himself and i'm not talking the little (laughs) hand saw i'm talking the big electric saw you know because clearly he is more than capable right so like and of course my wife would kill me if i let him so um you know so the self-assessment is always higher Um, Part of the challenge is as parents, because we want to be protective, um, sometimes our assessment becomes a little bit lower than the actual reality is. But the challenge then is when you have a a teenager, perhaps with ADHD or for other reasons, but, you know, teens with ADHD are notorious for over-reporting their abilities or under-reporting their difficulties so mm-hmm. you know it which basically looks like this which everybody listening to this is going to know it's i'll be fine just leave me alone i'll take care I've of getting it. my homework done yeah right i've got Despite it. the fact that right <laughs> we have nine nine and a half years of data that shows exactly the opposite but somehow this is the week where it's all going to come together so, right exactly um, you know yeah so that's the tug of war it's that as the parent you're looking you're saying dude you don't got it but the teen is hell-bent on, on showing you, or at least getting out of the conversation. Um, and I think for some of them, it's not simply that they just want to get out of that conversation. They just want you to shut up and leave them alone. I think there's a certain amount of, like, swear on the stack of Bibles, Your Honor, in fact, I've got this. Don't you worry. Yeah, they, I've got, like, they Yeah, they really believe it. And it's yep. because they don't yet know what they don't know, or they don't yet know what is not going to work out.
3: Right. Well, I keep thinking of the Dunning-Kruger effect, right? This whole notion, like teenagers are, are a classic example of, as you say, over-reporting their capacity and not recognizing what they don't have the capacity for yet. I mean, it's, it's classic, right? Right. And And then there's this communication layer that happens on top of it because we get into these battles where the parent sees what the kid doesn't see and, and, as I say, doesn't know how to transfer that ownership. And so, you know, you end up with parents standing with their hands on their hips or exasperated or angry or, you know, all of the different kinds of reactions we have to it because we don't really know how to begin to make the transfer and how to, how to do it in a way that, that is realistic and effective, particularly when we're dealing with kids who have executive function problems.
2: Right, yeah, and, so, that's, and that's the balance of knowing when to step is. in and knowing when to step back, knowing what to let our kids fail and stumble on, you know, because natural consequences do potentially lead to some learning and increases in motivation, but natural consequences do not lead to skill improvement, at least not directly. So now, um, but
3: can I share a great example, recent example because I have a sixteen year old right, yeah. and um yep. we 've been in, and he was getting ready to go away to camp this summer and um, and he 's been responsible for his own you know camp packing for several years now, and i 'm usually pretty hands off because there 's a really good list. Well, he went to a different place this summer, and they didn 't give him a really good list, and he resisted the suggestion that he create a really thorough list. And so he gets to camp, and the first night I get a text because it's it's a leadership camp, so I'm in communication with him. And I get a text from the first night, I forgot sheets and a pillow (laughs) and towels Right, And so we end up in this text exchange, I'm like, I guess you want him to, me to send him to you, huh? Yep, and he's already figured out how to make it until I get him stuff. And then I send him back, you know, do you need a blanket? Oh, yeah, that would be nice too, <laughs> you know. And the next day, as I've got everything in the package in the mail, I send him back telling him how much it's going to cost for Tuesday or Wednesday, and I'm sure you only want to pay for the, for the inexpensive one because I've already made it very clear I'm not paying for it, right? And, um, oh, and then, oh, by the way, he says, you know, can I, after it's already sent, can I have a laundry bag? I'm like, don't worry, I've already included it. <laughs> <Right>? Nice. <laughs> so, and, I, and it was this wonderful experience of natural consequences doing their job because when he gets back, I will be able to have the conversation with him about what worked, what didn't work, and what will you do differently in the future. But the only way that works, the consequence works, is when I follow up with that conversation with him. If I do it without shame, without judgment, with the humor that it it deserves, (laughs) because it's, I mean, I have to tell you, I was cracking up during these exchanges. I wasn't angry. I wasn't, because, you know, he said, I got it, Mom, right?
0: Mm
3: -hmm. Um, And he learned, (laughs) And he will learn. Well, but, but you're right. The skill piece is critical because I have to go back in and teach the skill.
2: Well, but the thing is, there's, there's no reason for you to be mad because you have yeah. sheets. He didn't forget your sheets. <laughs> exactly. Nobody died from not enough sheets. So there's he may nothing have been to cold. be mad. Right, Yeah. Uh, you know, whatever. He'll put on three pairs of, uh, you know, T-shirts exactly. or something. So, right, exactly. Yeah, so, so, like, there's nothing to be angry about. Um, so I think it was a great situation. And this is one of yep. those things, this is an awesome callback. For the next five to possibly 15 years, you can refer back to this and say, so when yep. some other situation comes, you're like, no, 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 I got it. You say, like, oh, wait, is this, is this the sheet?
0: Even like this, the know, I, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Am I going to need to FedEx yeah. you this? Um, so, and again, in a funny kind of way, so it gets under that defensiveness so that he can actually hear what you're saying and not get all fired exactly. up and then not know how to respond to you, at least in any kind of effective way.
3: Yeah, no. For years no. to come, it's going to be twenty-three dollars or one hundred and eighty-five dollars.
2: <laughs> Which yeah. do you want?
3: Yeah.
0: I'm having I'm having
1: a little bit of because if I remember correctly, we were at an ACO conference a couple of months ago, Elaine, and your your daughter was having some issues or something like that, and I remember you walking out and and I, that the, you were laughing. In the face of the pro- – anyway, I'm having like a little flashback as you're describing this as to that particular situation. So everybody – that's true. She's not – she's not – she's actually having fun with you. At least that's what I witnessed on my side of the – I mean, on her side of the phone call in uh, Reston, Virginia, um, which is kind of wild. Um, I need to run to a break real quick. When I come back, you know, you said something. Both, both of you sparked a thought, and that is – Communication, there's verbal communication, and then there's nonverbal communication. I mean, it's your thoughts on communication in general and what part is verbal and how you communicate nonverbally. Um, we're coming back when we get back, but real quickly, go check out Dr. Tuckman's website at adultadhdbook.com and Rain's um, website at impactadhd.com. We'll, we'll be right back after these messages. The secret word is adolescence.
2: Your life, your world, your choice. This is Attention Talk Radio. Are you always late? The Time Timer is an award-winning time management solution that's helped millions of people with ADHD manage life better. As time passes, Time Timer's bright red disc disappears. Visit Timetimer.com and use the discount code ATR for 15% off.
1: Transform lives as a professionally trained ADHD coach at the ADD Coach Academy. ADHD coaching is in demand, a calling, and a career. Learn how you can change lives by going to addca.com slash ATR. That's addca.com slash ATR. Managing ADHD is about pausing before you ponder and proceed. This opportunity to practice pausing is being brought to you by digcoaching.com.
2: And now, back to Attention Talk Radio
1: back. We're having a great conversation, as expected, with uh, Dr. Ari Tuckman and late Taylor Kloss um, about communicating with teens. And before the break, I was listening to both of uh, both of our guests talk, and I, I just kind of, like, the thing kind of came to me. I've studied communication for a while. A lot of communication is the, the spoken word, but a lot of it, uh, as I've come to learn, is actually we communicate a lot without the spoken word. Elaine, first you, when you talk about nonverbal communication, how does this play into this, I and mean, how, how much of that is a part of the communication process with kids and the transfer of control?
3: Well, I, I, my understanding, and, and Ari can probably answer it better than I can, but my understanding is that about 70% of communication is nonverbal. I mean, it's, it's a significantly high percentage of, we, of the way that we communicate with, is through um, gestures, but also facial expressions and really subtle shifts in facial expressions. And, uh, you know, I was thinking as, before we took the break about the use of humor and how, how powerfully effective my husband and I have used humor in working with our own kids. Um, but mm-hmm. the, the only reason it works is because I'm coming from, as you said, from a place of true non-judgment, that there's nothing, it's not hiding another emotion or judgment or, or you know, upset. Mm-hmm. It's coming from a place of true acceptance and, and laughter. And, and because of that, I think my kids read it that way. Um, but if I were trying to be funny but really covering up an angry or upset or frustration, they would know it, even if my words said something different.
2: Well, I, I think like also that. humor requires you've got to read the room right. You've got to yeah. know your audience in order to be yep. funny. Right. So, so in some ways, I mean, there's a lot that happens before the joke comes out, but, you know, so that, you know, like, what can I joke about? What do I not? Um, and, you know, so that it kind of lands right and doesn't fall flat. So, you know, I think that it's, it's some, somewhat, it's, sometimes it's just sort of like innate and some people just have it more than others, but, but it's also about that kind of pausing, And not just kind of knee-jerk responding out of anger or frustration, but taking a little bit of a step back, perhaps, from that initial reaction. Um,
3: Yeah. And what I would add to that, Ari, is is knowing the kid, too, because we were just talking about this in a group coaching call last week. We were talking about the use of play and humor. And, you know, for, for some of our kids... Some of our kids have a wickedly funny sense of humor, and so it's a really effective strategy. Some of our kids tend to be a little more black and white, and if their they're black and white thinkers are linear or have language processing problems, it, they may take a little longer to learn and appreciate and connect to humor. And so you want to make sure that you're meeting the kid where it resonates, because if you think it's funny but they don't get that you're kidding,
2: it's yeah. not
1: working to your advantage. Right. So...
2: I think especially with teens. When you talk about that knee-jerk
1: reaction of of going to that, that, am I to hear that to to communicate well with teens that you're kind of like, between the lines I'm reading, that the parents got to learn to self-regulate their own emotions to communicate?
2: Absolutely. Definitely. I think that's the case
3: with with any. Any communication with any child, particularly a child with, with, with complex issues, is the parent's seg- self-regulation is always the place to start because if the parent's not doesn't hold it together, the kid knows it and the kid plays off of it
1: or reacts yeah. to it. And whatever. so... This is kind of cracking me up because we've done a bunch of interviews with Dr. Russell Barkley, who talks about ADHD as a self-regulation issue. And I, separately, I've done some interviews with Melissa Orlov, who does some marriage consulting, and she talks about this ADHD symptom and then the non-partner's response to the symptom and then the ADHD person response to theirs. So it's like she calls it the symptom response response. And in that process, it requires both parties to self-regulate, to down-regulate, to get back to it. And I'm kind of hearing a little bit when it comes to communication, the parents have got to self-regulate as much as the kids. Needs to self-regulate around their ADHD symptoms. Now, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like the parent actually needs to be working as much as the kid does on the situation. Thoughts?
2: Pro- probably more actually. Uh-huh. So you know, I mean, wow. with the possible, yeah, I mean, with the possible exception of your spouse, the the other people in the world who will make you the absolute craziest and drive you to your worst lunacy is your teenage kid you know so um so as the parent as the adult in the room you have to keep your head on and you need to work twice as hard when your teenager has kind of lost their head um so it's Mm -hmm. absolutely it's it's all about it all begins with self-regulation um so that if your teenager is beginning to lose it you don't also lose it or you don't let them provoke you into losing it so that now it becomes a screaming battle, which isn't really fun for anyone, but it it is a good way to not actually come to any productive conclusion on something, you know? Well, and so it's we're a just going to blow technique. up and yell.
3: Right. It's a
0: great technique. The kids use
2: to happen.
3: distract. Exactly. Yeah. Now, now we're not exactly. talking about what you asked me to do. Now we're talking about how I'm talking to you. And that's right. Ray, and it, it's a, Beautiful technique for distraction. Um, but, yeah. but I would echo what, what you just said because I, probably 40 50% of the work we do with parents is helping parents learn how to reconnect to calm or to calm themselves down or to stop yelling or to stop crying or whatever their reactivity is um, because, because you cannot problem solve from a place of reactivity. And the parent has got to be the parent in the room and has got to be the problem solver and teaching those problem-solving right. skills.
2: Well, and I sometimes say that you can't expect your kids to behave better than you do. So, like, <laughs> which is super Fair. super easy to say, and believe me, like, I got my moments, too. But, you know, and yep. as I said, no one will make you crazier than you're a teenager. So, um, So, yeah, it's like we as the adult in the room need to be the most adult in the situation if we have any hope that our teenager is going to, you know, act like an adult. And, you know, part of, like, Jeff, when you asked about, um, you know, nonverbal communication, I sort of, I actually, I'll give a different definition of nonverbal. So not not necessarily the standard definition of, like, behavioral sort of things um, and sort of watching how you deliver the message, not just what you say, et cetera, et cetera but also nonverbal as in choosing to not be verbal as in choosing to let Mm -hmm. certain things go by and thereby address other things. Because, I mean, that's the other thing is like, you know, especially when a teenager gets going, they're throwing all sorts of crap out there and not all of it deserves a comment. I'm not saying you have to be happy about it. I'm certainly not saying you should reward it, but, but sometimes, you know, there's wisdom in not, saying something and not responding to something, letting something go, coming back to the main point. What was that main point again? Um, And, you know, and that means ignoring. And it's, again, it's that self-regulation. It's that inhibition. It's that holding back the response so that you can keep your eye on the prize and, you know, focus on the things that really are worth addressing in that interaction.
3: Right. You know, so I couldn't. I, I agree with absolutely everything you just said, because I think the the point is that as parents, we feel like we need to take on everything, and what you're pointing to is the need to, to to be really clear. What are we tackling right now? What's the issue that we're addressing right now? To take aim there, and not get get seduced by the tendency to want to do absolutely everything to prepare them for adulthood. Because if we, if we don't address it all now, then when they're 25, they're not going to be able to. Right.
0: right, and but. we sort of
3: catastrophize forward, but but we actually do ourselves and them a disservice by not staying really clear on what's the issue right now. What are we addressing right now? Wow. Oh. Um, where so, I would disagree with you, though, Ari, is that I I think my nine year old may be a whole lot crazier than my teenagers ever did. So, <laughs> <laughs> I think teenagers so. get a bad rep, but you know that's a whole yeah. other conversation. <laughs>
1: Right. So you, you, you said aim, for the parents to aim at what they're working on right now. Is that, am I, is that right? Yes.
3: They, that's We call it taking
1: aim. That's the language that we use. Okay. In All our right. Model. I want to go a break and come back. I want to kind of talk about that a little bit. Everybody, um, two of my favorite guests always great conversations. I always learn a ton. You need to go to the websites and learn more. Uh, Elaine's website, impactADHD.com. Dr. Tuckman is uh, adultADHDbook.com. And with that, we'll be right back after these messages. The secret word is adolescence. You're listening to Attention Talk Radio. We'll return in a moment. Your life, your world, your choice. This is Attention Talk Radio.
2: Change your life by learning more about
1: managing ADHD. Other places give you a few tips. The ADD Coach Academy will change your life. To find out more, go to addca.com slash ATR. That's addca.com slash ATR.
2: Are you always late? The Time Timer is an award-winning time management solution that's helped millions of people with ADHD manage life better. As time passes, Time Timer's bright red disc disappears. Visit Timetimer.com and use the discount code ATR for 15% off. Could hiring an attention coach really help you move forward?
1: (laughs) Does a child get wet when they dive into a swimming pool? You can get started moving forward today. Just call DIG Coaching Practice at 813-837-8084 and schedule a free consultation. Tell us you heard about us on Attention Talk Radio and get 50% off your discovery session. For more information, visit digcoaching.com. Don't delay, do it today. And now, back to Attention Talk Radio. Welcome back, everybody. I have two of my favorite guests on Attention Talk Radio. We're having a great conversation, and I think I'm learning something. Next time I do this, we need to record it and do improv thing where I can extend it because easily I could get four or five shows out of this uh, because of the a <laughs> lively discussion. Because um, there's so many different places I want to go, and I'm actually going to digress here for a little bit of a second. You know, Elaine, as a coach, I spend a lot of time, people will come to me and I, what do you want coaching on today? And it's interesting for the ADHD crowd is because sometimes we, I have to coach them on what they want to coach on. And exactly. as I hear you talking about, well, we got to take aim on something, I've talked to you before about, you know, and I think you use, I forget the word you use, succumb to everything in the moment to really kind of take that aim. That's still an organizational type function. And for a parent to self-regulate on some of this and actually organize their thoughts on what to take aim, that sounds like it's not always an easy thing to do, particularly with a parent that has ADHD. Thoughts? Well, well, I think
3: you're right. It, it is hard to know what's, what's the, because it's a prioritization skill, right? Um, and you have to figure out what's the most important thing sometimes at the moment or this week or this month or this semester whatever. Um, and that's not always easy to do. When, when we work with parents in groups, they we coach them to take aim at the beginning of every call. and um, And when they first get into it, it takes them a while to it's, exactly as you say, to learn how to do that. and we have to coach them around it um, and coach them around taking aim on something that's attainable, right? We don't because you don't want to take aim on mornings. Because that's way too big, mm-hmm. and it's like, yeah, I want to improve mornings. But let's get specific. What's the change you want to see? Is it setting the alarm? Is it waking up? Is it getting out of bed? Is it getting dressed by a certain time? Is it eating? Like, When you take aim very in a targeted way, um, you can you can achieve uh, you can get achievable results, you can see some successes, your kid will see some successes and you can build on it. Um, but when you take a aim on something that's really twenty different things like mornings or homework, then um then you you rarely get to a sense where you really feel progress. And we want and progress
1: is, is, more like is key. <laughs> and more like self-regulation's right. problem that we were just talking about before the break.
3: Right. So, but you're right. It is difficult to do. That. And the thing that we often find is that when we give parents permission to take aim on almost anything, like there's no right thing to take aim on. Sometimes, particularly with younger kids, you may want to take aim on what will make your life as a parent easier to manage. Um, with teenagers, I think it's really essential to take aim on something that is important to them to change, that they're going to be able to find a motivation to do something about because um, we can take aim on them putting their towels away or cleaning their room. But if that is absolutely of no interest or priority to them,
1: then we're going to be hitting yep. our heads against a wall. Absolutely. We're going to shift here in a second, but, Art, you want to make any comments on what Lane's saying before I make adjustment here?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, what I like about the language of take aim is it's sort of aspirational, you know, mm-hmm. in the sense like we're we're aiming for it. We're, hoping, we're crossing our fingers and hope we hit it, but I don't know. We may not. We may hit something else instead. So it's that there's kind of some inherent flexibility in that. Um, and, yeah. you know, I think sometimes being flexible, um, not only in what you accomplish, but also in how you accomplish it, I think is, is kind of a key to success in a lot of ways in life.
3: Absolutely. Well, and in fact, sometimes, particularly when people are early in the group, they'll take aim. And, and oftentimes what will happen is you'll go through the call, and by the end of the, aim, of the call, what they've realized is that they need to shift what they were really taking aim on because the real, the real issue is not where they thought it was when they started, yeah. but what they become clear on is what the real issue is that requires the attention. So that flexibility is key.
1: Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Um, i want to shift gears just a little bit to kind of move in and wrap it up. So at the beginning of the call, we're talking about communication. At the beginning of the call, I thought both of you did a great job talking about you know, transferring control, and often those with ADHD, their self-assessment exceeds their actual ability, and the parents probably are lower assessment this person's reality. So there's this disconnect. So we're, as I've it's kind of funny because I didn't even know I was doing it, but years ago, I was, as I told my kid, I'm training you to be an adult, that's my job, is just to kind of to give you that stuff so you can go out and make those decisions. But there's this disconnect between the ability and assessment, and that requires a lot of communication. And we've been talking about self-regulation, and it sounds like, Dr. Tuttman, there's a huge area that, that there's an amazing amount of patience that's needed in this process. <laughs> Is that really the epicenter yeah. of self-regulation and, and patience as parents and, and it's a long hoe as, as a process, which is the key to communication? Or you want to change that and twist that a little bit, thoughts?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that absolutely patience and self-regulation, I think are really kind of like two ways of saying the same thing, um, uh-huh. you know, because both of them involve a certain amount of disengaging from the big stimulus of the moment and keeping the bigger picture in mind. Um, And, you know, part of what we're doing as parents is helping, we're kind of holding up a bit of a mirror for our kids and helping them see, like, this is what your abilities are at this moment, or these are your strengths, these are your weaknesses, here are the things you can do to improve, you know, your strengths or weaknesses. Here is the value of hard work. If you put in the effort, here's what's reasonable to expect from it. So, you know, we don't want, you know, we don't want to err on either side of that. Where if you're too kind of laissez-faire about things, your kids will put themselves into situations they're not able to handle. If you're too critical about things, then they will underrate ultimately their their abilities, and they will be too scared to take appropriate chances. So, you know, we're kind of trying to shoot in the middle there and provide some accurate reflection back to our kids about, you know, what they can do and where do they fit in in the world. Because there's, you know, we need all kinds of people in the world. And, you know, where's a good place for you in terms of being able to accomplish the things that you yep. want to do and have the kind of life that you want to have.
3: So, so I, I love that. And can I just add to what? here's what comes up for me yep. as you're saying yep. that, is that um, if our job as parents is to sort of hold up the mirror, as you say, um, we need to make sure that we're cultivating a relationship with our kids that's strong enough for them to trust the mirror, to not right. feel judged by it, to not feel shamed by it, but to or, or not feel dismissed by it, right? But to be able to look at it and say, okay, what my parent is reflecting back to me I can trust. And so that's why the core of all of this is is the connection and the relationship so that when we do give them feedback, positive or negative, they can trust it and they're not suspect of it. And we, Mm -hmm. I think we have a tendency to be so hypercritical of these kids um, that they're suspect that they don't know what to trust anymore. Does that resonate? Ari? does it sort of fit into what you're saying?
2: I think it definitely does. And it's, and that's, the feedback that hits home in the, in the right kind of way is feedback that they sense is given for their benefit. When we start losing our craft, it's, we're saying things, we're doing things for our own benefit in the sense of like, Mm -hmm. my emotions are out of control and I cannot manage them, or I can't be bothered to manage them, or I just don't want to deal with this situation right now. So, you know, where it's, punitive where it's problematic is when it's done for our own kind of selfish benefits and we all have our moments um, but when, when yeah. it's good is, is exactly like you said that our kids can trust it they can believe it and if you have a kid who's already getting more negative feedback than the other kids sitting next to them in class and we know that kids with ADHD and other difficulties do get more negative feedback so they're already getting a bit beat up so it may be that it doesn't take much from you. Like if there's a whiff of kind of criticism or judgment. Yeah. yeah. They will read in, they will project onto that little bit, that little seed of truth. They will project on a whole lot more and say, you're always on my case. You never trust me, you know, and then it becomes as much bigger kind of a thing. So it's not uh-huh. to say that we go the the other end and become Pollyanna where they walk on water and it's all amazing. But but just that we're we're kind of hitting the bullseye or at least pretty close to it or at least we're doing our best to put it somewhere on the target. Even if we uh-huh. screw it up sometimes. They they can read the intention is there even if the delivery yeah. doesn't have to be perfect. And it shouldn't be perfect, not that you could, but it shouldn't be perfect because you're also modeling not just Here's how to do things well. You're also hopefully modeling. Here's how to fix it when you screw it up. Here's how to fix yeah. it when you miss the mark.
3: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, I think that's the, the, a key piece to it is, you know, this notion, Jeff and I, you and I have talked about this for years, this notion of failing forward and modeling for our children that failure is part of life and, and success even. And and then we're not going to do it perfectly, but, but we want them to be able to trust that we, as you say, that's so beautifully, that we have their best interests, that we really are in this for their benefit, not because they need to learn something, but because we want them to be and feel accomplished, successful, confident, whatever. And
1: that's you know, key. I'm, li- I'm listening to this conversation and reflecting a lot on different interviews that we've done in different ways and you know, Elaine, you know, Ari and Elaine, you're both talking about, you know, gaining the kids' trust. And one of the cornerstones of coaching is to set a safe space and gain trust. But it's been fascinating because I've been doing a lot of mentor coaching the last couple of years. And when the young coaches kind of come in and you ask for a coaching topic and they tell you, and the younger coaches have a tendency to want to solve the problem, give them the answer. And as we learn in coaches you have to let go of that. You really don't know. And mm-hmm. it's funny because I was actually coaching – uh, Kirsten Milligan, years ago, before played the and she said, I want coaching on, you know, bringing play, and I sat there, okay, well, let's talk about it, and I literally had no idea what to say or what to do, but I was, I had to put faith in the coaching process. Yeah. No, but if I stuck with the process and asked open and curious questions that it was going to get me somewhere. And Elaine, you and I did a, a video recently just kind of playing with improv where you say yes and. And in that improvisation strategy is you go with whatever the person says and you add to it. We talked about building it as a... As a um, conversational piece with kids, and, and I'm sharing this with everybody because there's a certain amount of trust in, the, in trusting the kids and trusting the process and not knowing where it's going to go or not being in control of where it's going to go, which takes us back to the first comment at the top of it, is that transfer of control. I think that's really kind of scary. But the bottom line is I'm, what I'm learning from this is if you, if you, if you communicate the right way, in an open way, a non-judgmental way, a fun way, and put your faith in the process, good things can happen. So I want to, I, I, Elaine, first thoughts on that?
3: I think that was a beautiful, beautiful wrap-up and bringing, bringing the whole thing back around full circle. That was gorgeous. <laughs> I don't even have to add to it. It was perfect. But that is, in essence, everything that we've just said, you've sort of just encapsulated it beautifully.
2: Yeah, I and mean, I think that trust. I agree. I think that trusting in the process means not just when it's going well, because that's that's pretty easy then. Yep. But also to have some faith that, like, even when things are are going off the rails a bit, it'll come on back.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, and
2: that parenting is not about perfection. It's about kind of persistence. It's about you know you you know I mean how we have eighteen or more years. Uh, to sort of instill these life lessons Like it doesn't all have to happen today
3: Right Well and that's, that's the, I think the biggest fear point For so many parents Is that if I don't do this Then they're not I, mean, I, were, I remember so vividly coaching A, a mom of a 12 year old Who was really upset that, that, this, little, that this girl was leaving cra- Crackers on the floor Crumbs on the floor when she was watching television And she really was worried about whether she was going to be able to keep a neat apartment when she was in her mid twenties, and and you know we had to sort of pull back from that and, and meet this kid where she is now, and just allow her to try to get to school with her gym clothes, right? <laughs> you know, and to focus yeah. on that first. Um, but that wow. it is hard to do because it's scary, and you you don't um, you don't know, and, and we and we feel like our job is to protect these young people and and steward them. And it's a daunting task. If it were all up to us, it would be impossible. So if you don't trust, it's it's terrifying not to, But, but and it's terrifying to trust. But, but I'm not sure we have much choice if we want to oh, feel that's... sort of peaceful and content <laughs> in the process.
1: Touché. Touché. Well, uh, you know, Elaine, you and I have done some different shows on what you do at Impact ADHD and a lot of, 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 is you guys have a couple models that you coach uh, parents on which really is I think really the essence of what we're saying you, you coach them on a model that they trust the model and you lean into the model as a tool to kind of bring about some of these kind of outcomes which I think is real, real powerful um, everybody I don't yeah. know the name of the show at hand but if you just uh, google attention talk radio and Elaine uh, Taylor Claus K-L-A-U-S then it'll come up and you'll see the, the menu stuff so um, alright anything last to say before we close this out
2: um just that this was just as good as i knew it was going to be
1: yeah Uh, you
2: know (laughs) jeff you and i always have a great time elaine is awesome so adding her in could only have made it better and it did
1: thank you i feel the same way for a couple ideas look for your one-liner emails about riffing another one so uh i appreciate both of you coming on the show thanks for having us it was a pleasure Everybody, go check out their websites, impactadhd.com and uh, adultadhdbook.com. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Take care, everybody.